Hey everyone, and welcome to the Marketing Times Analytics Podcast. I'm so excited to have Mickey Kennedy on today. Mickey, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, yes, uh, my name is Mickey Kennedy. I'm the uh, founder and president of eReleases Press Release Services, and uh, we've been doing that for about 24 years now. Wow. So you do press releases, you started your own company. How did you decide on starting a press release company? What does that origin story look like? Right. So I was um, had finished up an MFA in creative writing uh, with an emphasis in poetry. Just assumed I'd wait tables my entire life. And I did that for a summer after graduating and realized that physically and psychologically, it was just too taxing. I couldn't read or write. When I got home, I was just burned out. And so I decided I needed a safe office job. And I got hired at a telecom research startup in D.C., as employee number three and they said hey you're the writer figure out how to do press releases and get us media coverage and so i i did and i was really good at it um you know figuring out where the story lied within the numbers and publishing um not just the data but the stories behind it and the media responded and we got a lot of media pickup and we were faxing at the time and a lot of journalists were like, could you just email it to us? And that was the idea for like e-releases, email releases. Um, and so I spent a year contacting journalists, asking them if I could send them press releases that cover their industry or beat that they report on. And almost all of them said yes. So um, when I launched uh, 24 plus years ago, I had 10,000 journalists in my database and uh um, it's it's changed a little bit over the years where we now incorporate a national newswire, um, PR newswire uh, in our distribution. Normally that costs like twelve or $1,400, but through us, um, we're able to offer that to uh, entrepreneurs and small businesses, people that generally the wire didn't serve and just couldn't afford it. So it's been a really great avenue to help small businesses and um, startups and all those types of people. Interesting. So can you tell us more about the what, what is a newswire? What is that? How does that help um, journalists? Right. So there's two types of newswires. There's one uh, that the uh, news outlets pay a fee towards or licensing fee. And those are like uh, Associated Press, uh, UPI, Reuters. And what they do is rather than everybody having to write the same story nationwide about national news, they just license that article that's written by the Associated Press and other places. When it comes to newswires of press releases, um, there's uh, just a small handful of them in the U.S., uh, PR Newswire being the oldest and largest. And their model works where they give the content freely to the journalist would hopefully turn it into an article and the people who pay for it are the actual companies um, a lot of publicly traded companies utilize it because it's a way to ensure uh, wide availability of their news um, doesn't mean that it will get media pickup but it does ensure that shareholders and other people will be able to um, see uh, news as it happens. And, um, you know, in addition to that, private companies and other people take advantage of it as well, because it's a great leverage in which if you have something that's very newsworthy, you could get picked up in dozens. And I've seen as many as, you know, a couple hundred media pickups from a single press release where it just was, you know, uh, really uh, resonated with the media and they, and they love the story. So, where do you sit in this? Are you generating the are you sort of the middleman between um, journalists and like 
can you can you basically like break down where you fall into this process? Sure. So um, we are the press release distribution platform, giving access to small businesses. Um, we sort of operate as a co-op uh, because the the newswire would never discount its rates enough to uh, for for small businesses and entrepreneurs to afford it. Um, so we, acting on their behalf negotiate pricing with the wire and uh, um, allows us to get the national distribution. Um, and we do have editors, we review the content, uh, we, we can uh, be a resource as well. If uh, Sometimes you're not sure if the press release is strong enough so we can make suggestions and things like that. And basically we just walk people through the process and how it works with uh, the wire. So, if I did something newsworthy with um, with my company, let's say that we just launched a new product and we have a writer at the company who wants to create a press release, they would contact your company. You would help them create a good press release and then distribute it to um, all of the different publications. Is that right? Right. Yes. And for most people, we just are they just distribute through us. Uh, we do offer the writing help. We do offer the, the you know, being a resource for people as well, but not everybody takes advantage of that. I know you, you kind of touched on this, but what is the volume of press releases that you'll do in, let's say, like a year? Or just give us an idea of the scale of how many press releases are going through your company. So I think last year we did about 14,000 press releases. So um, it's, it's generally anywhere from 800 to 1,600 a month. Wow. And how have you set up your company so that you can process all of those press releases? Who are you hiring and in what, what roles are you hiring for? Right. We, we hire predominantly just all editors. Um, I do have a project manager. I do have an assistant uh, that helps the office, but it's predominantly just editors. Um, they also are, you know, uh, front facing, dealing with customers directly via, via chat, uh, phone, email, and, um, you know, they're, they're taking the releases that we get from clients, making sure they're in the proper format, um, circling back if there's suggestions or changes that need to be made, and uh, just getting it in copy that would be acceptable to the wire and then sending it over to the wire. Gotcha. What are some of the biggest um, pitfalls or um, mistakes that first-time uh, you know, people will make when they're trying to submit a press release. Right. So um, I think one of the biggest omissions is uh, media contact. Um, it's really important that if a journalist is under deadline and they're considering you for a story, uh, if you, you, they can't reach you to get clarification or uh, more information about something, then they'll just kill the story. Um, and move on to something else. So having a, a media contact and just being available is extremely important. Um, that also being said, doing press releases that are not strategic, um, those are the, the ones that you know do very poorly. And those are the most often seen press releases that we get. Uh, I would say 95% of the press releases that we move generate no earned media because they're not newsworthy topics. Um, a lot of people will do personnel changes within the company. Very few people care about that, maybe outside of a local newspaper and maybe a single trade publication. And if you just send that to them, they'll, they'll usually put it in, usually a little tiny bits of, bit of space. Um, there's also people who do a lot of product launches 
and they don't realize i don't know why journalists write from a story arc and if you have a product and a bunch of bullet uh list of features there's no story there and so one of the things that i try to encourage uh, clients to do if you're doing a product launch uh, put some case studies in there or user case studies, people who've used the product um, before it was launched and what were their results and also incorporate a quote from them. And so that builds a story. So it's like, hey, here's a new product. Here's, here's a business that used it. These were the savings they achieved or whatever metric uh, that, that you're, you're releasing. And here's a quote from them. And that builds out more of the story arc and I think so many people really get lost into they've got a new product. They want to just get a lot of media attention and they don't realize that there's an equation that journalists have to figure out. Journalists are gatekeepers and they're deciding what's worth sharing with their audience. That's their most valuable asset, their, their readership or viewership. And it's really got to be something compelling that they want to share. And just a product with a list of features is not something that generally is going to get picked up. This is really interesting because I didn't realize journalists were um, essentially they they are receiving a lot of stories and deciding which ones to write about. Is that right? Basically? Yes, absolutely. They that's have a, unlimited access, it seems almost with all of the content that's available in the wire. Yeah. Yeah, you're mentioning just that sheer volume. How would a journalist even sort through that many press releases? So um, the newswires give journalists journalist access, which is login uh, ability. And one of the first things they can do is they can identify what industries or beats that they report on and then only see news that's uh, tagged for those beats or industries. And then, um, at least with the PR Newswire, you can actually set in inclusions or exclusion searches. So, yes, I cover, say, fashion, but I don't cover ready to wear. I don't cover, you know, these retailers, you know, Target, Walmart, whatever. You can list those to exclude. So it can really make the feed that you see a little more customized to exactly what you're looking for. Interesting. I do journalists ever get stories not from press releases, like maybe they're scrolling through Twitter and they see something interesting. Yes. So journalists, uh, a lot of them are on Twitter and sometimes they get pitched through that. There are also PR firms. Um, uh, they do press releases, but they also do pitching. And that's where they send a very almost curated uh, uh, pitch uh, of, you know, very short sometimes just a few sentences or a couple of paragraphs. They may attach a press release, they may not, but um, they just make a, a, an appeal to a journalist, usually with a little bit of research that they've done. So if they know that this journalist generally covers a particular subject and this uh, announcement is right up their alley, then you may want to reach out to them and say, hey, I noticed that you cover this within the industry and I wanted to let you know about this. And here's why we would be a really great uh, angle or subject for a story or an article. And, uh, uh, you know, those, uh, those work as well. Um, they don't work as, as in the leverage standpoint, as well as say, a press release. So uh, journalists uh, often will take advantage of, of getting these pitches, but, you know, they also look on the wire as well.
the idea of a story arc is really interesting. Like adding a story to a press release where it's not just what happened, it's what's the story around it. So do you have any more tips on turning something that is otherwise just sort of a fact into a story? Like how, do, how does one sort of approach that? Right. So um, I, I don't know how old you are, but uh, I grew up in the tech uh, uh, arena as everything grew and eBay started. And for like 10 years, we all heard the story how eBay was created by this programmer to help his, I think, girlfriend at the time or fiance sell her Pez collection. And that's why he created the platform. Completely made up. Um, but uh, it was made up by a, a publicist, I think. Uh, but the thing that it did is it resonated with people like, oh, this person had a, a specific need and they created it and everybody else is now taking advantage of it because other people have these needs to sell things that they've got and trying to find the right buyer. And so, um, I, I, you know, it, it worked really well because it was a story that resonated and it had the appearance of being authentic. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, 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 it did what it needed to do. And that being said, you know, when you are reporting your own press releases and content, you know, don't forget that you have a story as well in which you can tell your, your story, how, you know, not just how the company was created, but what inspired you to create it. You know, what was your journey? Uh, what were the challenges and obstacles you overcame? Sometimes being very relatable and sharing mistakes uh, is a, a great way to get uh, trust and authority and to get media pickup. I've had uh, clients who, uh, and this is one of the challenges with small businesses, they often want to appear larger than they are and perfect. And so I've encouraged some to share embarrassing stories uh, during their growth and startup phase. And uh, not surprisingly, they often get picked up. Uh, I had one get picked up a whole article in Inc. Magazine and um, you know, this embarrassing story about how they had to cancel Thanksgiving and do fulfillment, uh, the entire family uh, was something that really resonated. And it was the lead into the article. Um, and they didn't want to do it at first. They felt like, oh, we want to be like super polished and professional. And journalists aren't looking for super polished and professional. Otherwise, uh, they would all articles would be about Microsoft, Google and Amazon. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, journalists like to curate and be seen discovering and spotlighting and profiling small companies, uh, startups, entrepreneurs. Um, so they, they do love that. And, uh, you know, I think that's one of the reasons that uh, you see a lot of Kickstarter articles and Indiegogo. These are just small little discoveries, but they're interesting and they're kind of novel and uh, they're audience responds uh, favorably. So, you know, that's why a lot of those get turned into articles. But, uh, you know, it is it is important to, to realize that your own story is, you know, uh, something that you can build with. And uh, you don't have to make it the focus of the press release. But generally, towards the bottom of a press release, there's a boilerplate where it's about company. That's where you can really build, you know, your journey and what you did and make it very succinct but interesting. And, um, you know, one of the uh, types of clients that we see that do very well with PR are startups. And I think that that's because startups really understand what their unique selling proposition is, their USP. And they have really tailored it down to an elevator pitch of what they do that's different than everybody else. And for those reasons, I think that uh, they 
they're they're easier for the media to digest because that story is one that can easily be told in an article. Interesting. So you can tell your story in an article. What is the process of validating it, of making sure that it's truthful to what happened? How do, how do we ensure there's honesty in that reporting process? Well, most of the media aren't going to fact check an individual company and their uh, origin story. I mean, eBay got away with 10 years and only later does they self-disclose the story was not completely accurate. Um, it's, it's kind of unusual to expect that journalists would be fact checking everything, uh, including your, your history. Uh, so there, there is room to embellish a little bit, but I do say, try to be authentic and try to stick to, um, you know, the, the facts, but you can also massage them a little bit in which it makes the story a little more interesting. And, you know, so, sometimes that's okay. And, uh, but, you know, you want to make sure that you avoid, uh, you know, just outright lying or doing what eBay did, where just, they just created a false history. Wow. Yeah, totally. I, you know, this is crazy. What I'm thinking about is the, the parallels between modern information sharing using social media and let's say information sharing in the newspaper age when, you know, we, we were still sending faxes like you were talking about and how similar it really is. Like half the videos I see on the internet are probably to some degree embellished. Maybe there's some something in there that's made for me to find it more interesting. That's, you know, if they were just purely showing, you know, the basic information and not like appealing to me, I would not be as interested. So there's there's this this element of dressing up a story to make it more interesting that is still a thing today in social media that I think has always been a thing, even in, you know, back in the day when it, we didn't have social media. And the only difference is that it's point to point, like the creator is directly reaching the reader at the end user. And the system that we're talking about here with press releases is going through a few intermediaries to reach the end user. So do you do you agree this is a sort of a similar model that we're seeing in social media with just direct connection between the people who are creating that newsworthy event and the end reader? Yeah, I think there's a lot of similarities. Um, I mean, even the, the news wires are aware that where we get media and news is changing. Um, they, uh, for example, you will find Instagram influencers with journalist access to the wire, uh, which allows them to get uh, curated content uh, as quickly as possible and, you know, from the source. And so uh, I, I think that's really cool, but uh, there is an overlap. And I think that there are uh, just like 15 years ago, 20 years ago, bloggers blew up and became a huge presence. And in a lot of um, industries, there are blogs that exceeded what the, the largest trade publication uh, uh, was in readership. And so the, the media was not as quick to respond then, but they started to accept bloggers as journalists and giving them access to the wire. And they've been very forthcoming with giving influencers uh, that access as well, because you know it, 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 they're, they're recognizing that media is changing and evolving and how people get content is evolving as well. Um, I think that uh, the press release is going to have a component might be five years or so that's going to be video there are some uh 
you know, now people that include B-roll and video footage in addition as collateral with their press release. Um, but it's just not really being utilized. I think the media hasn't figured out, you know, from a ownership standpoint and, and, and uh, control standpoint, uh, how they want to uh, take advantage of a video and things like that. But I, I do see a time where, um, you know, instead of all the articles that someone comes across in their feed, say on Facebook or Instagram or something, like that, they'll, they'll be more videos. And I think as a result of that, you know, having video collateral available is going to be something that some people are going to have to think about and uh, consider including. Um, and in the meantime, just having uh, photo multimedia images uh, can give you a, a real leg up when it comes to getting media attention. Because if a journalist is considering two stories, and maybe they're not great stories, maybe they're just like, eh, these are okay stories, but one has uh, a couple of images with it that are really engaging and cool, they know that their readership, which is mostly online, is going to engage with that more than the other one, which has no collateral, has no photos or images. So, um, you know, having that does give you an edge when it comes to whether your press release gets turned into an article. So I went on Twitter and I saw a video of some something like somebody from their home took it was it was the Chinese balloon. Somebody took a video from their home. And I was scrolling through the comments and there was like, it had to be like a dozen different news agencies had commented under, can I use this video? Do you mind if I use it? And I guess the idea is like, you, you need to ask for permission before you take somebody's content. And below, and, and this, the woman who put this video online after every one of those comments said, yes, you can have my video, it's fine. And then under that comment, there would always be somebody who said, you should be charging money for the, this. You could make tens of thousands of dollars if you if you just asked them to pay you for the video. They would do it because it's a good video. And she didn't seem to care much for that, which I kind of resonated with. I was like, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of cool to be like the center of attention. I'm sure she just is kind of reveling in it and doesn't care too much about monetizing it. But what's your advice on that? If, if somebody has a really good video, everybody's looking for that video, they're, then maybe they're willing to pay. Do you, how do you go about figuring out what to charge? How does that process work? It's completely negotiable. Um, and uh, sometimes uh, larger media outlets, if they're interested, might want exclusivity in which they say, hey, if we buy it, no one else gets access, gives them a little more exclusivity. Um, it, it, it really is a, a different variable. The one thing is that generally only the larger news outlets can afford to pay for the video. A lot of smaller, um, you know, like uh, state newspapers or city newspapers generally can't afford that. That's why they rely on Reuters and AP and other places for licensing their content. And it is possible that maybe Reuters or AP might be one of the outlets that approaches them and ask if they can license it or pay them a fee. Um, the thing about it is that that video is really only going to be very desirable for a short period of time. So um, I think in this case, the person just said, hey, this is kind of cool. Why not just share it and let everyone have access to it? Um, there are also news outlets that have a reputation for just taking and uh, asking for forgiveness later. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that that is one of the things that, yeah, well, you want you're, you're, you're 
unhappy that I took your content, then sue me over it. And, uh, you know, newspapers, some of them realize that most the average person can't afford to finance a lawsuit and most attorneys aren't going to invest five, $10,000 in uh, legal fees and something that may not result in maybe, you know, $2,000 in compensation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So I guess, are are you, would you then just field offers from these news agencies and say sort of, what are you willing to pay for it? Or would you come out with an offer? I would let, I would let, I would let them start the bidding and, and, and let them see what they're, they're willing. And, uh, you can sort of, you know, if you have something that's very desirable and you've got multiple people interested, it doesn't hurt to ask them, uh, what do you propose? They're probably going to lowball you at first, but maybe one of them will just say, Hey, we, 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 we're willing to pay $2,500 for, uh, content for uh, a good national story like this. So we would like to give you the max. And then you could just counter what the other people are saying, Oh, you know, this other company, this other outlet has offered me 2,500. I, I think I'm going to have to, you know, ask for that or something close to it. And you can negotiate a little bit in, in that respect. Cool. I want to ask about the press releases because you mentioned something about the format and how there's like a company bio at the bottom. Can you explain the sort of the kinds of content that you'd put on a press release? What is the structure of it? Like, what do you, what information is included? Right. So normally there's a headline. Um, There could be a subhead, um, especially if it's a, you know, you're trying to get a lot of information across and you feel a subhead is important. I don't recommend subheads just to have a subhead. Uh, then you usually have the the opening of the press release, uh, which usually has a city and state. We call it uh, part of the date line followed by the date. And uh, it's usually the city of origin where you're headquartered or located. It doesn't have to be though. For example, a lot of authors will just put New York because it's uh, the publishing capital of the United States, um, even though they might be based in any of the 50 states. Um, uh, as, as well. Um, so there is no, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of loose, uh, the, the rules in regards to that. Um, but the, the city and state doesn't necessarily determine that this is local news only to that city and state. It's just an, an, an origin. It's just the generally a headquarters or something like that though. Um, some people will look at, uh, the city and state, especially if it's local news. And so, uh, you know, if they're based in Albany, New York, they might look at all the press releases that have a dateline of Albany, New York, to see if local companies are publishing anything interesting. And um, the the Wired can tag uh, out uh, news content, press releases for local news as well. So um, if it's completely applicable to that, then you can do the local saturation, where journalists who generally only cover local news um, would 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 see it in their feed. Is there like a competition between you and the other uh, agencies who are releasing press releases such that you want yours to sort of be more prominent when the journalists are looking for press releases so that your stories get picked up more? Is there a sort of competition between um, people who are putting out press releases? Um, I think that press releases in general are all trying to compete for visibility. Uh, you live for a very long, uh, very short time on the wire. Uh, usually it's just headlines being uh, streamed, 
you can do searches and some journalists do searches. And if it's a very, very small niche uh, that you're, you're writing about, then it is quite often you can have an article get published five months after your press release because journalists went and dug through and found stories that were like really, really specific to you. Um, but, you know, because press releases historically only live for a short period of time, uh, it, it is very competitive. And uh, the things to realize is what gives you the biggest advantage with your headline is um, having what you're announcing said very succinctly. Um, a lot of mistakes that I see from amateur people doing press releases is they'll write cute, punny headlines, like the New York Post style of headline. And that's a headline that's written for consumers. You're writing for journalists who are busy. They get irritated when they see little puns. And very rarely do they click through to read the article to see if it's applicable to them. They just dismiss it. And so uh, it might be a fun, clever headline for a consumer, but generally those types do not translate to journalists who are busy, under deadline, and trying to look, is this applicable to me? What's the story here? Why would this be relevant for my audience? So let's say like there is positive and negative press releases, right? There's things that are good that happen, you know, good stories, bad stories. When there's a press release about like a person that that is negative, is there any risk of defamation? Do you have to kind of screen these press releases for if they're not going to maybe hold up well in a legal sense? Right. So we don't the newswire doesn't normally take press releases that have the potential for for libel or saying something that's defamatory uh, about an individual. Um, but, you know, that being said, uh, there are press releases that are about litigation. And so as long as they're written and factual and not uh, you know, sort of libelous, then they're okay. That being said, we generally steer those types of press releases to work directly with the wire rather than utilizing a service like ours because it's just the liability of it and the fact-checking and circling back is just really difficult in it for a small business like ours to, to stay on top of. Got it. Yeah, this this has been fantastic. I want to move on to um, the second section of this podcast. I've sort of a two two halves uh, structure where I want to lean into the business side, um, the founders side, if you will. So um, 